Welcome to the Brain Trust Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. Whether you're a leader, a coach, a salesperson, or even a parent, this podcast focuses on how to leverage the science of decision-making to help you become a more impactful communicator and a driving force for change. Welcome back to the Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. Uh, today's guest is going to inspire you because she inspired me. And that isn't just about inspiration. She's going to actually walk us through her life story that I believe is going to lead to some activation on your part on what you can do to actually fulfill your purpose with a little more passion as well. You will not believe uh, what Katie Spots, our guest today, has accomplished in her short life. And so it might inspire you. It might also demoralize you, but it shouldn't because she's such an amazingly accomplished ultra athlete. Listen to some of the things that she's an endurance athlete. She's a big charitable ambassador. We'll get into that later. She's an author. Now listen to some of the things she's done. She's run five Ironman triathlons. She's cycled across the country. She's done a 325-mile river swim up the Allegheny, which is insane. She ran 100 miles nonstop in under 20 hours. Do the math on that. I believe that's roughly five-minute miles nonstop for 20 hours. That's insane. She did, wait for this, a solo row 70 days across the Atlantic Ocean. This is just just to name a few. We're going to get into this. She's won a ton of awards. She's been involving and serving in 16 different countries. She's funded 100, almost 150 different projects and served almost 50,000 people uh, with her mission, <clears throat> which we're going to get into. I just can't, when I find someone like Katie, I get so excited because she's tapped into uh, kind of our God-given capabilities if we really want to lean into what we're here for. And she's not doing it to be a hero herself. And she's not doing it for the accolades and the awards. She's doing it to bring awareness to live out her purpose, which is to help other people. So Katie, I couldn't be more honored to have you on the Driving Change Podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be on. So I always start with our guests in the same place. Um, everyone on here has got a unique story. Everyone on here <clears throat> has done some, usually some pretty cool things in their life. And what I want to do is I want to go backwards. And I want to kind of go into that five, six-year-old Katie Spots. What's the why? Like, how did you go from that little girl who then somewhere along the lines tapped into the why, your why? Like, what did that look like? When you were a little girl, did you say, hey, you know what? I'm going to be a triathlete. Um, where, what, what, would that, what would that journey look like? Uh, well, when I was a kid, my dream job, as soon as I found out about it, was being a bicycle messenger. I, I mean, I, I just like riding my bike. That sounds really fun. I, I have that competitive spirit. And so um, my upbringing did shape me in, in, in a way that I, I mean, I have two older brothers and um, all of their friends were always over. and. Uh, you had to keep, you had to always try harder to keep up. And that was fun for me. I liked, um, you know, keeping up with the big kids. And um, I, one of the driving um, kind of motivations behind everything I do is curiosity. So as a kid, I was always curious and I was always um, climbing things and trying things and, um, I mean, I, I would be a good candidate for the the kind of like the kid leashes. I was just bouncing with energy. And um, it, it wasn't until later that 
I learned how to kind of direct and channel it. But um, yeah, just very curious and energetic as as a kid. So where did, do you feel like that you just kind of intrinsically had this ability to to not believe you had limits when you were young? Oh, was not, it that not just at drive? all. Um, so I um, did do all the team sports. So I did soccer, basketball, baseball, and I was physically there, but mentally I was not. So in baseball, you could find me picking flowers in the outfield and soccer. I didn't know what side of the field to be on. I got confused and turned about. And so I never really got into team sports and doing endurance now and seeing what endurance is about. And it's about human potential and limits. And with, with sports teams, I mean, that's great that other people can find joy in that. And, and I, I could see why they would. For me, the unknown and uncertainty, like in a game, you're either going to win, you're going to lose, or you're going to tie. In endurance, you get to discover what is the limit, what is humanly possible. And so that is something that's very intriguing to me. But when I was a kid, I wasn't a star athlete. So I, if anything, I was the bench warmer. So by the time I got to high school, I just, I, I, my story was, I'm just not an athlete. I'm just not that athletic. I, that's not me. And so I focused on other things. And so it was my senior year of high school. I needed to take one gym class to get my diploma. And I was dragging my feet, literally looking through these classes, um, trying to get a waiver, trying to like, write a paper about fit, physical fitness, trying to get a doctor's note that I didn't really need it. And so when I was forced to do a gym class, I picked um, a walking running class. And I my my approach was I'm going to put in the bare minimum effort. And so that's what I did. I just walked. And out of sheer boredom one day, I, I thought, you know, could I run one mile? Something I'd never done before. Is it humanly possible? And I mean, how often does that happen that the very thing we avoid is the very thing we ought to do, the very thing that kind of unlocks this potential and this growth? And so I... I wasn't, you know, I ran and I couldn't pace myself. It wasn't pretty, but it was a very defining moment because how often do we say we can't do things and and we don't actually try? And and so I never thought I could run one mile straight and I did. So it, 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 it made me think about, okay, if I, if I said I was wrong about or I couldn't do it and I was wrong. What else am I saying to myself that I can't do that, that maybe I, I could. So it, it, it was kind of a moment to change the story and look at the story. Is this true? Is this real? Is this right? Or am I making this up? And so just one mile was just enough for me to, to realize that just because you think you can't do something doesn't mean you're right. Um, you know, I, I don't think I could do this. Well, if you don't try, you don't actually know if it's, it's true or not. So it gave me a little um, more space to take those doubts less personally. And so it, it started there. It started by avoiding running. And here we are today. <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's pause there for a second. Let's drill into that a little deeper, because I think that probably resonated with a lot of people. The very things that we tend to avoid could be the very things that unlock the next level of potential in each of us. Oh yeah. And you didn't, you kind of stumbled into that trying to avoid gym class in general and then trying to avoid running 
Um, and then know where you are today from where you started there. How many of us are sitting out there right now avoiding something because we either feel like it's just going to be too hard or I don't have the skill or talent. I'm not wired that way. And yet it could be the very thing God's trying to put in your path to unlock your potential. Yeah, for sure. And I think my encouragement to others, I mean, you can assume things like, oh, if you're a runner, you must always have been a runner. It must have always come easy to you. And um, I think it's important to show that usually when you're trying something new, it the, there is an initial resistance. There can be those things. But if you are willing and patient, there's something on the other side, which could be joy, which could be a, a sense of fulfillment, gratitude, gratitude. And, um, so it's very normal, um, to feel a certain way and it's okay. Uh, it's also possible that, you know, the best is yet to come and, and, um, kind of, you know, there's something amazing to see at the end of that, that mountain and, and, and that kind of mindset of, knowing that, yeah, sometimes things are hard, but sometimes it's the, the hardest things that are worth it in the end. So, um, yeah. I also, I also love what you said about, it's such a great lesson too, is we've, we, we almost live in a culture and a society with a finite mindset around events, whether it be team sports, whether it be jobs, whether it be relationships, we almost put a finite box around, I, I'm, I'm working towards this event. This event has a, as an end, to your point, you win, you lose, you tie, you get the girl, you get the guy, you, you do that. You know, it's, it's whatever the finite end is. And then when you get there, why do so many people feel a little bit disappointed or not fulfilled? Uh, well, no matter what it is, right? Because it's never enough. Because I think t- what you're saying is, and I think Simon Sinek is on this kick today, these days, is, is God designed us for an infinite game. Yeah. And you're saying when you tap into the infinite potential of the, you know, the human, um, you're never, you're, you can be content without being satisfied because we're on an infinite trajectory. Is that where you kind of started to figure that out? Yeah. So when, I mean, yeah, I, I would say that what can, what can also be kind of, uh, troublesome, or at least in my experience, is that, um, I mean, faith has definitely changed the way that endurance is. And, and it may, I may be doing the same things like now that I did in my twenties, but I'm doing it in a much different way only because of faith. And so I guess what, what's true on my journey is, um, just kind of having faith as a foundation, like in endurance, um, sorry, I'm just, is it okay to edit some of this or is it? We're straight up. We're straight through, (laughs) Katie. (laughs) Okay. Well, I, yeah. So I, the only reason I'm a little bit like hesitant to, to be, um, you know, because in my twenties, I kind of placed endurance as my, my God or my sense of worth. And, and so I I think that could be really hard to enjoy something if you think your worth depends on it. So there, there's definitely a theme and a thread of me recognizing that a lot of what I was doing was fear-based. And so, um, it feels a lot different to do endurance now because God doesn't, 
you know, God already knows what you're capable of. So he's never going to be disappointed by what you can't do, what your limits are. And, and so those are already defined, but, but it's really just a matter of discovering what it is and not taking it personally when it's not your version of, of what things should be. So, um, yeah, just as you're mentioning that, like, I, I know that there are limits, but I just want to find out what they are. I know that we can't do everything, but there's a lot that we can do that unless we actually try, we'll never know. So yeah, I'm always very careful about like being like, you could do anything you set your mind to. Well, maybe not, but you can do more than you think, or you're never going to find out unless you try. And so I, I, I guess I wouldn't want someone to be disappointed by a message like that because it is not true. Um, there are certain things that are limits and it's okay. It's just, there's so much that we have untapped that is worth kind of pursuing it, pursuing and exploring. That's well said. And I think that's the key for everybody, right? Is, is don't, 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 first of all, don't, don't find your identity and your accomplishments, uh, you know, find it in a, in a, in a greater purpose in a greater place. And we know those of us who are faith-based know where that, where that lies, but also that you just got to keep searching and, and not, if you fail at something, it doesn't mean you're not supposed to do it. You might just have to push through it, but it also might mean that, Hey, that's not where you're supposed to be. You're supposed to turn your attention, try something new. The key though, is to keep trying the things that you fear that you're afraid of because you never know what's on the other side of them. So when you let, let's go down that journey then. So you, you run your mile in gym class and you kind of start to have a little self-discovery. Where was your first, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go do this. Like, I'm going to go be a good runner. I'm going to see what my limits are at, was it running? Was it? It was. Yeah. So I, I went with one mile and then I was like, oh, okay. If I could do one, could I do two? If I could do two, could I do three? And um, I never did the whole just one mile, just two miles, just three miles. Every single new mile was like a rocky moment. Like, I can't believe I could do three. What? Like, the, it was like a marathon <laughs> doing a three mile run. And, and I was just blown away by what my body it could do. And so, um, and what our bodies are capable of doing. And so, after doing 10 miles, the double digits, that's when I started to think about the marathon. And I didn't know anyone who had done a marathon. If you know the story behind the marathon, it's like someone delivered a message ages ago and then died after doing it. So now we're all going to do it and not die. So, I mean, <laughs> I thought it was just for Kenyans. I thought it was just for elite runners. And at, once I showed up to that race, I was so encouraged because I felt like I saw people that looked like me in all shapes and sizes, all ages. And so it wasn't necessarily that I was able to do the, the, the marathon, but that anyone could do it and that it's really a matter of mind um, and, and how much the mindset matters in endurance. Because whether you're the best or the worst runner in the world, when you run a marathon, everyone is going to hurt at some point. And so that's what I, what it means that it is a mindset. And, um, there's also that balance of, you know, um, working with your body and not pushing it so hard that it's actually destructive, but, um, 
yeah, just seeing that it, it's really the mind that will carry you through these endurance challenges because you will feel fatigued. You will go through, I mean, the, with marathon running, it's, it's very common to go through the wall or bonk around mile 20. And so these are kind of known things, but that's where that mindset makes a big difference. I love what you said earlier about, and we, if we could all have this growth mindset versus that fixed mindset, Dr. Carol Dweck talks about in her book, the growth mindset you had, and maybe it's intrinsic and maybe you pushed yourself into it. I don't know, is you celebrated the mile, you know, three miles, like it was a Rocky movie, right? That if we could just learn to celebrate those successes, but then not rest on those laurels say, well, that was fun. What if I could do four? What if I could do 10? Now, so then that pushed you into where you eventually did your first marathon. And where did you go from marathon to, hey, you know what? I wonder if I could do this on a bike. I wonder if I could do this swimming. I wonder if I, I bet, I, wanna, I wonder if I could do a try. Like, what was that next? Was it a triathlon next or what was the next step? Yeah, I think you can tell that I really had no idea what I was getting myself into by the logic behind what I did next. So I, after doing my marathon, I thought about doing an Ironman and in in my mind, I was like, okay, so swim, bike, run. I got the the run covered. So now I'm going to focus on biking. And instead of following a 16 or 20 week Ironman plan, I was like, I really want to feel confident in my cycling. So I was looking for a cycling event and found out about racing, uh, uh, the big ride across America. And it was to raise funds for American Lung Association. And at the time, my grandma had just passed away and she gave up smoking the day I was born as her first granddaughter. So it was one of those moments that I didn't need a pro or con list. I knew I wanted to do it and I knew I wanted to do it in her memory. So this big ride was 3,300 miles all across the United States. And when I decided to do that, it was right after the marathon. And I didn't even have a bike. I, you know, the last time I had a bike was as a kid, just putzing around town. So it it did start with the marathon, led to the ride. And then there was the swim for water. So that was a swimming um, 325-mile swim. And the row came in after that. So I kind of got, I eventually got to the Ironman, but um, I think there are so many of these events that really can capture your imagination of, of, of possibility. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think what's, what's true about endurance is there's so much you can feel like in a hundred mile run, you could go, you could have like a, a little, lifetime of, of emotions in one day, the highs, the lows, the drama, and you can read about it, but to really feel the intensity of the emotions, you have to do it. And I think that kind of drama or excitement is also very appealing through all this, but, um, yeah, there's, there was no list of like, I'm going to, I didn't know I was going to swim the Allegheny river until a few months beforehand. And so there is kind of a intuitive organic way that these adventures take shape. And, and I don't have this long list of must do that. And that's what kind of keeps it more exciting too, that it's not a to-do list. It's a exploration of, of possibility. Well, so you had this thing you said earlier, you always had a little bit of a desire around curiosity. I think that's driven you 
very positively in the direction of, of unlocking your potential. And then when I'm, <laughs> I'm playing along in the minds of our listeners right now. And most of us look at endurance athletes like y'all got a screw loose. <laughs> you know, what's true <laughs> to me. I think what would that person be if they didn't run a hundred miles? If you have a hundred miles of energy in your body and you're not using it, that might turn into anxiety or depression or just spinning your wheels. And so I think what's crazier is to have someone who has that amount of energy and doesn't have an outlet. So yes, it is crazy, but the only thing crazier is to not do it because I don't know, there's just, I don't think I would feel, uh, you know, this, that's kind of what I need to feel my, myself, I guess. I mean, I love that. And I, and I think, we, I always admire, I've got a couple of neighbors right now that are training for half, half marathons and marathons and, and they're getting into the triathlon, triathlon phase. You didn't do the normal, like, okay, I'm going to train for a triathlon. So I'm going to run a bunch. I'm going to, while I'm doing that, then I'm going to bike a bunch. I'm going to swim a bunch. You're like, okay, I'm going to run a marathon. And then, Hey, you know what? I'm just going to bike for 3,300 miles. I don't have a bike, but I think that'd be fun. So I'm going to pick up a bike and I'm just going to ride for 3,300 miles. And it's a good cause. So I feel purpose behind it. <laughs> Right. And then you're like, okay, Hey, I should probably train for swimming. Most people will have a lap pool. They go to at the Y and they're going to work that maybe a lake nearby. You're like, what if I just swam the Allegheny river? It's 325 miles. I mean, surely if I could do that, I'd be ready for a triathlon, like the mindset. And I think what I love about you is you have this curiosity, but you also have this, this unbridled um, openness to adventure. Yeah. Like that you're just open to it. Like you don't want to pre-descript, you don't want a predefined pre-scripted path. You want to be open to adventure. I think you and I were talking about that a little bit, right? In Shenandoah. Yes. I mean, so in 2010 is when I rode the Atlantic and, you know, usually when doing these things is like, well, are you going to do it again? Are you going to do it again? And um, I think that's, what's really beautiful and pure about doing something you've never done before. And I think, there's something to be said about being prepared and researching and knowing what fuel and what gear. Um, but I also didn't read a lot of books about other people's experiences just because there's something very pure about not having this story or preconceived notions of what you're experiencing. So even if I rode the Atlantic again, there would be this almost expectation, this comparison and what's great about switching things up constantly is that you can truly adventure and in a, in a way that um, you don't have expectations. And so my last adventure was one that I, yeah, I didn't imagine doing, but my friend and I like to rollerblade a lot. So it was rollerblading across the Florida Keys, um, 120 miles or so from Key Largo to Key West. And uh, yeah, didn't contact or talk to anyone who's ever done anything like that. And it was, it was, it was a cool experience to just do something new and have that fresh, those fresh eyes while going through it. Yeah. So, all right. Now I have to admit, I, I can, I can get into the, okay, I get it. You're running, you, you know, endurance running. I can't even imagine ever running hundred miles in 20 hours or whatever it was. Um, that's insane to me that I can't, I barely run now unless I'm being chased, but that's here nor there. <laughs> um, I can, but I can imagine it, right? I can imagine biking. Like a, we like to bike ride as family. I can get, I can imagine that. I can't imagine it 3,300 miles, but I can, I can see, right. I can see, I can picture myself riding a bike. No problem. 
swimming. I like to swim. We have a pool. I can picture myself swimming. Now, can I picture myself swimming 325 miles down the upper, upper down the Allegheny? No, I cannot. But I get the idea. The rowing thing. That's the one that I bet the listeners right now are going, she rode across the Atlantic? Like, what does that even look like? So give people a picture. Are you in a dinghy? Are you in a, like a little, a little canoe? Like, what are you in? Yeah. And, and I want to dive into this a little bit because this is the one that I think people can't relate to in their own mind. Yes. So it's nothing like, you know, first of all, it's not a kayak. It is actually a rowing. So that means you're using your full body. The majority of my power was my legs and my back. So um, it is a sliding seat. Uh, it was 19 feet. I had a pretty much like a coffin sized cabin, which was my living room, dining room, everything. And then the, the little cockpit, the other cabin was for storage. This boat was designed to be self-writing, so it could flip over. Another big, um, I guess, thing to point out with my row is there was no follow boat. There was no resupply. There was no helicopter. I did run across a boat 64 days into the journey and they could have been pirates because they didn't have a radar and, you know, were out there illegally. So um, it was a truly solo uh, event. And I set off from West Africa, the most um, Western part of Africa, and landed in Georgetown, Guyana, 70 days um, after, after I started in Africa. All right. So I've got, I've got questions. Yeah, I've got lots. Of, lot. I've got it's, I've got lots of lot questions. Lot for, first off, I would imagine that if I was a pirate and I came across somebody in one of these situations, I would think they're absolutely crazier than I am. We're not messing with this person. So that's probably what happened. They just <laughs> well, veered off. <laughs> I, I, the only conversation, or the only th I don't speak Spanish, but they kept saying "loca," which I don't know what that <laughs> word is. I've been. I've heard that one before. So. Chica loca, chica loca. Yeah, That's what yeah. they kept saying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do have video of it. And it, it, I mean, they were looking at me like I was a mirage. Like, what? <laughs> You're like, some alien <laughs> who came down in, in the ocean. All right. So I do think it's, it's, it's interesting that you, you used the descriptor. Uh, coffin. Yeah. Cause I think that's what most that's, of us were, would be thinking. Yeah. I mean, it, that it is, I don't know anything else. I mean, even the walls of this cabin were padded just to prevent um, myself from getting a concussion if the conditions and when the conditions would pick up inside there. So it was very small, um, but I did have enough space for all of my supplies I did have a desalinator, so I did have water and didn't have to necessarily carry that, but I had all the food and everything else. Okay, so uh, La Chica Loca is in a padded room. <laughs> <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's in her padded room, the size of a coffin, rowing across the, <laughs> this is all just apropos perfectly, right? Rowing across there. So you got a desalinator, so you got a way to make water every day. Um, and like from a claustrophobic standpoint, what did, what did that feel like? Were you, did, 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 are you someone who just doesn't normally you're fine with that? You could be in a confined space for a while and be okay with it. Or did you not, it wasn't a big deal because you could kind of get out if you needed to. Like what would, what did that mindset was it, what did it feel like to be in that confined space for that long? Um, well, I, I actually felt like I had all the room in the world because I had the entire ocean and I barely had anyone out there. And so there were barnacles that grew on the side of my boat and I would have to, while tethered to the boat, get 
you know, in the water and with my snorkel kit and, and, and scrub it from, you know, producing and creating drag. So in some ways, yes, the boat was small, but the ocean is big. And, um, yeah, I, I almost feel like if I was in a crowded city, I might feel it more than, than on that boat. I also, I mean, it was small, but it was comfortable. And I liked that everything I needed for two or three months was in arm's reach. And I had a, you know, a sheet to show where exactly everything was. And so it was comforting to know that I had my own little self-contained universe that could exist for months and months without any outside. And, and so it, it almost was a, a comforting place to know that I had everything I needed and all I needed to do was turn on the engine and go. And so, um, yeah. And I, I mean, there's little things that I do in adventure to make it more comfortable. And I had pictures of family and I don't know, it, it, I had things that made it feel homey in there. Um, but, uh, I mean, I am in the Coast Guard and there are times when I felt more claustrophobic being on their boats because in some of the, the racks for sleeping, I couldn't even bend my knees without hitting them. So you, you, I mean, it's like 14 inches of clearance between and it's stacked three or four high. So I, uh, I felt more claustrophobic on a boat with other people than I did on that, that little um, 19 foot boat. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, you're making us all feel better. <clears throat> uh, <somewhat. laughs> so then the other question I had is you're, you got it yourself contained. I think it's still, it's, it's me. It's, it's unbelievable. You had no supply, you know, supply boat, no safety boat, no helicopters checking in on you. You're kind of on your own. <clears throat> you are literally Tom Hanks with, you know, with the volleyball. I had, I had a little tennis ball, uh, because space was tight. I had a tennis ball version of, uh, it was Minnie Wilson. So. Minnie Wilson wasn't like Penn or something. Um, so, so, so the, did you have a point in time when you took off? Maybe it's 10 days in, maybe it's 15 days in. Did you ever have a point in time where you're like, okay, what, what have I done? Oh yeah. I mean, once I reached the halfway point, you are the farthest human away. You know, one of the, you're just, you're in the middle of, you know, you're just so far away from the start so far away from the finish. And I kind of expected, I had expectations on what I would feel at the halfway point, because I know how I felt halfway through my marathon, halfway through cycling across America, halfway through the Allegheny. And that was always a sense of relief. Like, oh, I know what it took to get here. So now I just have to do it again. I know. And, and now I'm closer to the end than I am the start. Like there's this mental shift. And it's usually, even in racing, there's a huge like, okay, now the real race begins. And because you usually pace the first half. And so I was expecting for that to come and said it didn't. And what I felt was I did everything to get to this halfway point. I cannot imagine doing it again. I'm sleep deprived. I can't sleep for more than two hours because it's, uh, feels like I'm sleeping in a, uh, a sauna. There's flying fish that keep banging into the side of my boat. I had sleeping medicine and didn't want to become over-reliant on it and needed to wake up if the radar was on. So I didn't have any sleeping medicine left at that point. And so I had no guaranteed sleep. And so the ocean felt bigger. I felt like 
yeah, I was just so defeated by it. And so I was crying and, and I, I, I did have a satellite phone and kind of had a call with another ocean rower to kind of process it, but it really became at that point, I am no longer rowing 3000 miles. It's too big. It's too overwhelming. What I'm going to do is row one mile 3000 times. And so I, I couldn't see, I didn't want to look at the big picture. Um, and I let it go and just completely focused on the next step. And truthfully, if you're 100% into those steps in front of you, the result takes care of itself. So I, I think there are times when seeing the end is helpful. Um, but in this case, it was, it was definitely turning the, the focus to how can I make the most of this moment in front of me? Okay. First off, uh, there's a big sigh of relief for the audience that, that they recognize now you are human. <laughs> She's not a cyborg. Oh, yeah. She's not an My alien. My humanity so, comes out a lot in these challenges. So that's good. Now, now you're completely relatable because we were all just holding our breath. Um, and the second thing that I thought was just profound, and, and you and I talked about this when we had our first chance to meet this past spring. And I think if it, each of us, each of us has a different capacity for vision. And, but we also have a different capacity for being overwhelmed by that vision. Mm-hmm. And in anybody's life, no matter what it is that they feel they're being called or led to do, you can get to points where you feel overwhelmed. And to you, you hit that moment where you felt overwhelmed thinking about 3,000 miles and rowing it. But if you did 3,000 one-mile increments, you know, row, row a mile 3,000 times, that is such a great metaphor for all of us, right? Is don't, don't look, get so overwhelmed by life because it will overwhelm you if you keep thinking about uh, the destination. But if you just think about the moment and get set reasonable incremental goals and then keep stacking those one on top of another, you'll find where you're going, right? Yeah. I mean, I think there are certain aspects of life that it's, it's already like that. Like you're going to school, so you're going to college and, um, before you get there, they, 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 they tell you how many hours you'll have to be in class, how many pages you'll have to write, how many, you know, that would feel very overwhelming, but they don't do that. They give you what you're going to do for the next 16 weeks and when your next exam is. But, but if you can figure out a way to, to break everything down, I mean, nothing happens outside of one step at a time, or, you know, I I mean, that's in any part. So I think learning to do that, that breakdown in the big things is what, you know, like you can't do multiple things at once. You can't do one step. Like with running, you kind of have to take that first step before you can take the second. So, um, yeah. Well, and I think that this, that experience, most of us will never relate to, but we can relate to what you learned through that experience. I think that's what's great about being human, right? We don't have to do everything that other humans do, but if we can kind of relate to their journey and then see how it applies to our journey, everybody's journey is personal. And yeah. I think everybody can relate to that. Not, you know, not trying to take the big, the big bite. Now, here's what I thought was really awesome about the rowing thing. Why I want to spend a little more time on that is because somewhere along the journey, you became passionate about purpose, that this wasn't about you. It was bigger than you. And you wanted to lean into this idea of providing clean water for just people around the world that don't have it. Now, when, when did that spark? When did that kind of divine spark happen for you that that was going to be your mission? 
So I learned about the water crisis the same time I learned about ocean rowing. I was living in Australia and they experienced a, a, a drought and it was affecting everything. It was in the major headlines. And I was also studying environmental science. And I remember my, my professor just mentioning that the wars of the future will be because of water. In some countries, it's already the case. And she said it so casually and it just stopped me like to learn about where there is conflict about water and being born and raised on, you know, one of the greatest sources of fresh water on the Great Lakes. It was something I've always wasted. It was something I always took for granted. So to think that there was that big of a need and problem, I, I mean, it was, it was a hard thing for me to realize my own ignorance of this because I learned about it when I was 20 and I thought about, okay, so a billion people don't have clean water right now. You would have thought that in 20 years, I would have heard about these one in six people, what they're doing every day, why they're, you know, it, 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 yeah. And so what really made me want to do something about water, I mean, there's many reasons, but it's not just a feel good cause, but this is a human right. Like we do have enough water for everyone to go around. It's also a problem that has solutions. We don't need to necessarily put, you know, resources to researching, but but funding the the projects that do work, biosand filters, wells, hand, hand dug wells. And so that's exciting that we know the problem, we know the solution, and it's cost effective. Every $1 invested in clean water brings $12 back to the community. And it's effective. And I mean, it's the first step out of poverty. And if you care about education, clean water. I mean, kids can't go to school because they're sick or they're collecting water. If you care about the environment, if you care about health, if you care about um, women empowerment. I mean, all of these things are water. And so I feel like it's hard not, it's hard not to want to do something when you see the impact and you know that this is a step into a different life. And so, yeah. We're going to point everybody in a, in the direction where they can get behind you getting behind the mission to, to provide clean water here at the end. But it also led you, so this has been your passion, you know, really since the, to your point, since the, since the row and the, your um, awareness of what really was the true plight of this globally. And then you had a little bit of a setback recently, which has kind of propelled you to the next level of your performance towards pursuing clean water. What is that little backstory on the setback? And then now what's that now led you to, because you're not someone who's going to, you know, set, a setback for Katie Spots is simply just a setting the stage for the comeback, right? And you're in that mode now. Tell us a little bit about that story and where that's leading you to next. So I mentioned doing the Skate for Water, a um, journey doing an ultra marathon every day on inline skates or rollerblades. And on day three of that journey, I did take a tumble uh, which left me with a torn ACL, torn MCL and sprained wrist. Um, thankfully, like, because my friend was there and she was helping me break, I was able to finish the last day of the journey. Um, but I did after my MCL healed. Um, so that, that journey was this February. I had surgery on my ACL in April and I, 
I have done these 100 mile runs and in the back of my mind, 200 was something that I'd always been curious about. Um, yeah, it's, it's, um, there's, there's just different things about this. Like you'd have, you have to sleep and knowing what it feels like to run on tired legs and this. Yeah. So I, I'm really excited to go from zero to learning how to walk again to 200 in less than a year after ACL surgery. So I, um, I'm on my way and things are going, going, uh, well, so far I am working with a coach to help me kind of manage, you know, how far we can push and, and what, what's reasonable, but so far so good with the training. And, um, this would be to raise funds for a clean water project in Peru. Um, so this will be, uh, it's, you have 96 hours. It's a, it's an actual event or race and I'm one of the participants, but it's in, um, basically it ends on April 1st. So, um, yeah, I, I, there's so many reasons that I'm excited about it. I think that it's easy to have a setback and, um, I don't know, just kind of get stuck there and not push beyond it. And so it, especially just knowing that I really couldn't walk and was using crutches and to see what our bodies can do if we, we, you know, do the work and do the PT and, and I mean, yeah, I am definitely working with a coach to make sure that I'm not creating more problems as a result of this, but it does excite me to, to be able to take a step back and, and channel that energy into something good. Well, just for the record, I want to go back one step and you kind of just slipped it in there. So you, you, you wiped out, you tore your ACL and your MCL, but you fit, you still finished the race. I did. I, so I couldn't break, uh, because of the, you know, I couldn't lift my toe up. I could, so my friend would pull, put out her arm and I, she would be my, my, my break. So I, I went to the ER and they, they put it as a knee, a knee sprain. And so I didn't actually know in the ER that it was torn, like fully ruptured. It took two weeks later after going to PT and they're like, usually I, we never see people when it's, you know what I mean? Usually, yeah, you, you find out. And, and so it was a very busy ER and I think they were just kind of like, Oh, you're not about to die. Yeah. So yeah, you were triaged. <clears throat> well, they looked at you and said, well, it's just an MCL and ACL. Someone like you just get back out there on the course. Let's go. Well, let's, let's point some people to where we can get um, really involved and get behind you on your yeah, mission. I, I think that would be great. Um, so my website is Katie spots, K A T I E S P O T Z. Dot com. There is a donation link there, which would go to help fund the next clean water project in Peru. There is also an impact page. So you can see on a map on Google Earth um, or Google Maps, you can see pictures and impact reports and number of people that it's helped. So it's really fun for me to, you know, show donors where what's actually happening with, with any money that is donated. And then I am on Instagram at Katie Spots and on Facebook at Hello Katie Spots. And 
I also love that in your site, you've got the Garmin Connect where you can actually <clears throat> follow along where Katie's running, where she's, act, where she's working out and actually follow and track her in her routes and uh, see if you can keep up, I guess, right? And just see, what, see what's happening. That's pretty cool. Pretty cool Thank feature. You. And you have a book as well, right? Yes. So that is, you can buy it on Amazon. There is a link on my website, but it's uh, Just Keep Rowing and it's 70 life lessons for the 70 days I, uh, rowing across the Atlantic. Amazing. This is uh, very inspirational. And I encourage everybody to go to katiespots.com. You're going to probably get lost in there. There's so many great places to go. But it more, most importantly, I know because I know her, is get, get behind the, the movement for clean water. And sometimes we don't know what to do. We want to help support people. We want to help support movements because we know there's a problem in the world, but we don't know how to do it. And Katie has made that path clear for us. We don't have to run the marathon. We don't have to run 200 miles in 96 hours. We don't have to row 70 days across the Atlantic. We just have to support her while she's doing these things. And by supporting her, we are supporting clean water across the world, specifically now in this uh, location of Peru. So, you know what? I know you don't want the kudos, but you know, you're a hero to a lot of people out there, especially a lot of young women, a lot of young girls and old men like me. So thank you for what you're doing. It's an inspiration to all of us. And I encourage all the listeners to get behind. She's a unique individual who will tell you she's just an ordinary person who tapped into the extraordinary capability that she found in her God-given gifts. So thank you very much thank for you. being on the Driving Change Podcast. We want to follow your career. We want to follow what you're doing next. And we couldn't be more proud of being associated with you, Katie. Aww, thank you so much. Will you come back and join us again sometime? Oh, yeah. There's, there's lots more ahead. So... Excellent. Well, we'll have you back on again. So good luck and we'll talk to you soon. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.